everyone. Welcome to Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If not, welcome back. Like I always say, please like and subscribe. Tell a friend. We'll double the podcast overnight. If you ever want to reach out to me, please hit me up on uh, our t- our Twitter or fa- our Instagram uh, at the Big Mark Pod and at the Big Mark Podcast. Uh, go check us out on our Patreon if you want to support the podcast. Patreon.com slash the Big Mark Pod. And again, thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate everyone's support, and um, and and I love all the great feedback that I get um, from all these episodes. Uh, thanks, Pops and Andrea, for the new shirt. Uh, if anyone's been watching closely, all you Big Mark po- uh, podcast fans, um, I've had a different shirt on basically every episode. I have fucked up, and I did miss one. Um, so anyone with a keen eye, maybe you've caught that, maybe you haven't, and now I'm pointing it out, but who cares? Um, thank you so much for the shirts for in, in my birthday package. I loved, I loved everything in there. Uh, great cups and everything. And, um, again, much appreciated. It was great birthday and it was, it was great to see you guys. And, um, you know, it's funny every birthday I, I throw up this, uh, this post on Facebook, right? Cause everyone, you know, everyone writes, on your wall for for your birthday on Facebook and says shit and messages and it's 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 so great and it's always amazing it's always hard to go through everything so you know people like to kind of post up a generic kind of hey thanks for all the birthday wishes thing so I always like to kind of spice things up and I post this little um, excerpt from Seinfeld and it's um, a scene if anyone's a big fan of Seinfeld it's it's the scene where um, George George Costanza met this girl who thinks he's really funny, so he convinces Jerry to pretend he's not funny. Obviously, he's a, he's a professional comedian, but convinces Jerry to not be funny around his girlfriend. And Jerry, you know, gives out it's on like they go out to dinner on his birthday, and he gives this solemn speech about there's no such thing as a happy birthday, and you know every every year that we grow or every year that goes by, we, we realize how little we grow. Anyway, it's depressing but it's funny in in the context of the show and anyone who knows Seinfeld always gets it but it's always about like 50% of people get it and think it's funny and then 50% of people are like Mark are you alright so it's kind of funny Um, but I I do it every year and it basically gets the same response every year so I'm doing it to everyone gets it Um, but anyway again thanks for everybody and all the birthday wishes (laughs) and everything um but, uh, you know, today we're going to get into a cool subject. Uh, I hope it matches the glasses today. Hopefully, uh, you know, I'm channeling some homeless pimp vibes. Uh, shout out Christy Chaos uh, and Hey Babe and all those podcasts that you do. Um, if anyone doesn't know any of those, go check those out. They're sweet podcasts and their producer basically looks exactly like I do right now with short hair. Um, but I wanted to get a little funky because we're going to get a little bit funky today. And talk about Area 51. Um, you know, you're probably going to see this. You probably, you know, maybe you clicked on this video and saw the title. And I, I'm not going to get all Tom along on you today. I'm not going to go wild in UFOs. Today's going to be a little bit more actual info about the actual military base that is Area 51. Of course, talking about this stuff, you know, I can't help but bring up some, like, you know, stuff that would be considered conspiracy theories or you know, UFO stories or whatever you want to call it. And it's interesting, and I'll get into that this later too, it's interesting how we kind of, 
denounce UFO stories and, you know, anyone who talks about it just is a kook and crazy and, you know, um, just saw it in their dreams and they were sleepwalking or who knows, right? But, you know, to think that in this grand universe that exists that we know of, this physical universe out there with all the stars and planets it's hard to even it's hard to really convince ourselves that we are the only intelligent light forms out there it's extremely hard again not to get too far into alien stuff but it's a crazy distance to travel but it's not impossible and there's ways in physics that we are just starting to learn here on earth um that that we can theoretically think about how we how we might travel kind of space time so to speak but there could be t- there could be civilizations, you know, infinite civilizations out there that have figured it out and can do, you know, interstellar travel, and potentially have visited our planet, um, and so to, and therefore may have crashed here, may have left remnants, may have willingly left things too, right? Like you never know. In a lot of um, ancient kind of like you know, megalithic sites, as Graham Hancock would put it, um, you know, Egypt and, and places like that. There's, you know, writings and Aztec lore and stuff like that of of beings coming down and kind of giving them things. And who knows exactly what that is, right? But again, talking about Area 51, you kind of can't help but go down the rabbit hole a little bit, but that's not what we're here to do today. Um, again, going to kind of talk a little bit more about, um, you know, Obviously, everyone has heard of Area 51. If you haven't, um, well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, um, was, um, you know, a large area, but not a, not a significantly large area with, with several buildings built uh, in the southern Nevada desert um, as a U.S. Uh, Air Force military base. Uh, from 1955 to 2013, the U.S. government actually denied its entire existence. Um, it was deemed completely top secret, and it was never mentioned by name um, by the U.S. government again until 2013. There was a CIA document that was that was released, Freedom of Information Act, things like that. Um, obviously, the problem is, for a long time, you know, people were able to in the surrounding area around Area 51, they were able to see lights and hear sounds coming from the area. So they obviously knew something was going on. Slowly but surely, the U.S. government kind of like bought all the area around it. So it's hard to even approach some of this shit by accident. And then there's like a crazy no fly zone. Talk about a no fly zone. Um, in um, November 1954. Um, they, they actually launched the U.S. Air Force launch project Aquatone, which was a, a joint effort by Lockheed, which was a, like a weapons manufacturer, the U.S. Air Force and the CIA, uh, to create new planes to spy on the USSR and the Soviet Union. Um, basically, they needed to work in secret, so they created Area 51 in a remote location in Nevada. Uh, it was fairly close to a nuclear test site so it was already kind of like restricted and it's not like people were going to want to show up there anyway and to kind of bring more scientists and military personnel there it was nicknamed paradise ranch which was maybe just a little bit of kind of a lie to get people there but um essentially all the people that were there um were involved first involved with building the u2 plane um 
if you're watching on YouTube here, I'll show a little picture of it and you can check it out. Um, it's, uh, at the time, was the highest flying plane. So in the 50s, 1950s, um, commercial flights flew around 20,000 feet. So they were pretty high. The military flew about 40,000 feet just to kind of avoid that and, and stay a little bit further away from the ground. The U-2 could actually get up to 70,000 feet. So it was flying you know, almost twice as high as, as any military plane was even able to go. So other commercial pilots would see this these planes being tested and they were so blown away by the altitude and how high it was going, how fast it was going, they thought it, it had to be from another planet. They could not, they were unidentified flying objects in a way that they basically said that they had, they must be from another world because they just don't even understand what they're seeing. Um, it's kind of that, that's basically, um, that's basically what kind of perpetuated the whole idea that there was alien shit kind of coming from, uh, area 51 probably is that right off the bat, anything coming from there, they just assumed was alien tech because, and, and you know what? There's a good there's a good chance that they might have been reverse engineering something if they found it from a for, that was potentially extraterrestrial, but essentially this stuff was just so advanced that anyone that could see it and and you know it's not like this never happened before, you know people were getting hit by cars all the time and trains and shit when they first came out because they never could they never been around they have ne at the time they had never been around anything that w could move that fast so they couldn't judge it. And they wouldn't get out of the way in time, shit like that. Like, there has been normal technology that humans have created that have blown people away. Happens to this day, you know? Um, so, anyway, that could have been the first kind of, or that essentially um, is like the first kind of connection of, you know, UFOs at least. And again, UFOs just means unidentified flying object. It doesn't necessarily imply that it's alien craft, but. What can you do? Um, even though the commercial pilots were seeing this and saying this, the government essentially couldn't openly admit that they were running these tests. So they did actually have to lie um, about it. And they basically just said, you know, they're natural phenomena, um, high altitude weather testing experiments, shit like that. So it it's understandable that people think this shit is fishy, right? It's understandable that people think, you know, maybe there's more to the story because the government is clearly lying about this shit, right? So, but essentially they have to, to try and keep it top secret. I mean, there's spies involved anyway. Someone's going to try and find out, but they don't want to openly admit, oh yeah, we're just testing a new spy plane to go look at the Soviets, you know, and all, and all the, all the Soviets have to do is just tune on to turn their TV on and that's all they have to do. So, you know, the times had to, they, you know, the ends justified the means, I guess. But again, this is what perpetuates these these notions that are, you know, pretty extreme. Um, on May 1st, 1960, the USSR actually shot down a U-2 plane. Um, they, they recovered the plane intact and captured the pilot. Um, so the Soviet Union had all the technology that the U.S. was working on at the time. Obviously, this makes the, the U-2 plane ob obsolete. So basically, this forced the U.S. to push the innovation of their spy planes, obviously, bigger, higher, faster, you know, as the U.S. do. 
Um, and, it, and it made them, and, and they came up with the A12 ox cart. Um, I'll show I'll show a picture here again on on YouTube here, but essentially it looks like a flying saucer. Um, it can it could go up to eighty thousand feet, um, and and up to Mach three, which was three times the speed of sound, which was unheard of at the time. And again, it had that circular fuselage. Essentially, it's like the OG UFO. Uh, it more or less looks like you know a picture UFO, and that's essentially what this thing looks like. Um, and it was an incredible leap in, a, in, in technology in such, such a short time. Now, in my research, they were kind of implying that, oh, you know, this incredible leap was from their, them reversing alien technology or they found something all of a sudden or they made a breakthrough in their reverse engineering process that all of a sudden they could create these, these new, you know, newfangled planes. I guess that's highly plausible, but the other another thing too that we can look at is like, you know, human beings, when they're pushed to a certain point and that's all they have to do, and that's all they can think about, you know, they're paid to do it, they can live, breathe, and think about an idea, are capable of ama amazing things. Basically, the only thing that's holding us back from doing anything at any point are like distractions in life and distractions you know, in living and having to work and pay or and pay money and pay rent and, and get, earn money and pay rent and do all that shit. Right. So it's like if, if you're literally living at the scientific facility and you're a scientist and that's your job and you and you provided and you can eat and you can sleep. And, but every other hour that you're available, you're thinking on this project. It's amazing what can be done and trial and error, too. Like, again, this literally Area 51 is a test site. Who knows how many shits were fucking destroyed before? And I'll get into that later. Or sorry, you know. I'll get there. Um, the A-12 ran for uh, for a handful of missions from 1964 to 1968 before they scrapped the project. Um, but it was essentially the precursor for the SR-71 Blackbird, um, which is the fastest uh, the fastest manned flight. Um, in 1976, it went 3,529 kilometers an hour, and it still holds that record to this day. And it was tested at Area 51. So uh, I'll show another picture here. Everyone knows exactly what, what this plane looks like. I was a little bit, I guess I was a little bit of a plane nerd as a kid because I did a, like a day camp up at, um, the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum, which is here in Hamilton, Ontario, for anyone who'd love to go see some cool-ass old planes that were all, all essentially fighter planes, have fucking guns and shit. It's pretty badass. Uh, I did, like, a day camp there for a week or whatever and went, and it was pretty fun. You got to, like, look at planes and learn how they work and shit, and by the end of it, got to go up in a plane, and uh, it was, like, a little Cessna four-seater. It basically felt like a flying car. And at that point, you know, you're super, it's super fun. You're not even, you're not even afraid. I was probably like seven, I want to say. And, uh, I was wearing a hat. I'm sitting in the back seat and the pilot's taking us up in the air and he goes, yo, Hey Mark, take your hat off and hold in your hand. So I'm holding my hat in my hand. Um, just kind of right, right in my lap kind of thing. And all of a sudden the pilot stalls the engine, you know, in a safe way, but he stalls the plane and we start to kind of fall in the air and my hat just levitates completely out of my hand. It was the craziest thing. I felt myself come, like, my seatbelt got tighter. I got, like, came off the seat. We basically went completely weightless for a while. And it was it was a really, really interesting feeling. But anyway, um, 
I've always kind of had a soft spot for cool planes ever since um, ever since that time. And the SR-71 Blackbird is a badass plane. I used to have a little model of it, or I think I still do at my mom's. Um, again, test, it was tested at Area 51. So people knew about these planes. They knew that they were being created. But again, the testing was, was always very secretive. Um, again, since people knew that the fastest plane in the world came from Area 51, all that, all that publicity drew more attention to Area 51. Um, but still the government kept denying its existence. Um, Area 51 is arguably the most highly classified military uh, facility in, in the U S. Um, and it's basically the same small layout since uh, since the 1950s or so, but millions of acres of restricted airspace. So again, you know, the U.S. owns most of the area surrounding the base, so it's hard to even, you know, it's hard to even wander up to it. Um, and again, people knew that there was stuff going on here, but the U.S. just kept denying, you know, deny till you die, I guess. Um, and before satellite imaging, the U.S. government actually was able, they were able to erase, um, erase Area 51 from all the maps produced at the time. So any map, you know, that was like hand drawn or whatever they used to do back then was completely, um, like Area 51 was just not even on the map and the road that led up to it too. So super, super wild, like again, painstaking efforts to, to hide this thing. Um, in 1974, a U.S. satellite that was like basically creating a map of the entire world accidentally took a picture of Area 51, and it was the only place on Earth it couldn't take a picture of. So I guess it was confiscated or had to be changed. Not sure. Again, it's funny because Area 51 isn't, you know, there's not much to see really from the sky anyway of the actual compound. And a lot of people think that some of the, some of the base might actually be underground. Um, again, you know, like I said before that, you know, they never, the U S government didn't really go to any lengths to hide the construction of the planes that were, that were built in Burbank, California at Lockheed Martin. They went, they, you know, they went over and above to hide the, the flight tests themselves. Um, so really, really interesting that they got so uptight about the, you know, about the discovery and the photography of area 51. Um, you know, obviously, again, they want to hide things in general, but, you know, there's a possibility that there was a form, this was a form of distraction um, from another adjacent base where all the real stuff went down, potentially. Um, even after the spy planes were made obsolete um, by uh, satellite imaging, um, the U.S. government continued to deny Area 51's existence until that CIA document was released in 2013. Um, the details of that document, um, were only, um, it was, it was only the happenings basically around 19, uh, area 51 until about 1968. So it was only basically until the A-12 was no longer, um, was no longer used in missions. So from 1968 to 2013, they still didn't release that information. They may never release that information. Um, in June 1982, the F-117 Nighthawk, which is a sick-ass plane, I'll show it again on YouTube if anyone wants to see it, 
um, is it's the first functional stealth fighter, and it was basically practically invisible to radar. Um, this is, you know, when you look at this plane, you kind of go, okay, I understand why people think that they were, were reverse engineering alien craft, because how did anyone even figure this out? But again, it's basically built to avoid radar. So there's a lot of like, you know, right angles and strange ways that it's going to bounce off that signal because basically radar works off a wave. And if you can, you can disperse that wave and not allow it to return back to its origin, radar doesn't work. Um during during the 80s uh, area 51 essentially became the hub of stealth plane tech again everyone knew that that's what was being tested around there you know people although you couldn't really get close you know the surrounding area people were still coming visiting and kind of like you know uh plane watching so to speak so everyone knew that all this stealth tech was going on and again the u.s was still denying it crazy shit um and for, for that entire decade, they basically burned everything. And I literally mean everything. Materials, fucking tools, literally anything that was used to build these stealth planes was literally put in pits and burned. Now, you might be thinking, that can't be good for the environment. Well, no shit. It definitely is not. Um, some of the workers actually died as a direct result from these burn piles sucking in fumes, which is brutes magoots. Um, the employees were actually denied PPE due uh, personal protection equipment. Obviously, everyone knows what that means from COVID uh, due to budgetary issues, and which is fucking crazy. It's the bloody U.S. military, and they can't provide these guys any protection. It's very, very strange. Maybe they just hope they were going to die anyway. So obviously these people took the U.S. military to court because they're like, this is brutal. You guys basically killed my family. Um, and in court, the U.S. government actually prevented the EPA from releasing any documents about the environmental impact of the findings from Area 51. And that was Bill Clinton himself and, and every president since. There's four times a year where they have the option to sign, to sign or not sign this document saying don't release the, the Area 51 EPA results four times every year and every president since has signed since Bill Clinton has signed this document so they don't want that fucking EPA document released I don't know what the fuck that's about I mean it's strange because even if we knew what it's just going to tell us what chemicals are out there it's not going to say oh you know aluminum fucking uranium alien dick like what's gonna say you know what i mean like it's it's so weird um so still to this day you know i guess trumpist did it and even fucking fucking biden probably saw it and said nope don't release that shit anyway um they you know the cia recently released some more shit about ufos and stuff in area 51 but they've been keeping it close to the vest um, they also classified any documents that would allow the employees' widows to get any compensation, uh, basically only under the guise of national security. So essentially these families suffer, lost loved ones because, um, the U.S. government doesn't even want to admit that Area 51 was going at that time or whatever they don't want to do. So it's fucking bad news, bears. Um, the popularity of Area 51 continued to grow. 
1988, a Soviet satellite actually took a picture of Area 51. And again, you know, no one really freaked out. It wasn't really much to see from the air anyway. Again, leading back, like I said, um, to the possibility that the majority of the base is underground. Um, but despite that, interest continued to grow. And, and like I said, you know, in the surrounding areas, uh, the nearest town of Rachel, Nevada, um, embraced the ET culture, you know, the classic kind of Roswell alien stuff, all that kitsch. Um, they took advantage of the tourism, um, opening bars like uh, named the Little Alien Inn, um, and, you know, selling T-shirts and tchotchkes and, and souvenirs. Um, but uh, the info... Um, that 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 has been released um, about about Area 51, including the 2013 CIA report, only mentions events up to the 1980s. And again, you know, the government probably will never release um, any present inf any info about Area 51. And again, it's strange because is it national security or is it something else? Right? You know, there's a few kind of prevailing theories so to speak and you know the oldest one being um you know the the potential crash in roswell new mexico in 1947 a rancher found strange material on his land and the u.s air force initially called it remnants of a ufo um but but later redacted that statement um and you know the the kind of theory from that is that they're that the remnants of that crash might be might have been brought to area 51 and that's kind of what was built around um uh, it was all built around that that uh whatever remnants they found or there might actually be actual alien remains there might be a body of an alien potentially at, at area 51 that's the oldest that's kind of the largest most cliche one uh obviously i mentioned it a, a few times the reverse engineering of kind of alien technology for our own tech, you know, stealth not from everything from stealth planes to, you know, microwave cell phones, you know, all this space age technology, right? Like, I mean, again, we can, we could probably have a whole other podcast talking about, you know, the logarithmic kind of evolution, the exponential growth um, uh, of, of human technology kind of from like the industrial revolution and all the way up till now, you know, things are kind of evolving, you know, evolving at an expon exponential rate. And, um, you know, was that just the natural course of things? Is that how humans would have just naturally got to this point? Or again, did we unlock some things, you know, with, with some of this remnants, uh, at area 51. And then eventually that filtered through the, the military and got to us, right. You know, um, develop developing technology that's, you know, way ahead of current technology, um, that essentially would blow people's minds. That's another kind of theory of what's going down at area 51. Like I said, you know, when they had that U2 in the, in the sky, um, at 70,000 feet or whatever, all these other pilots were tripping balls going, you know, I don't even know what this thing is. I've never seen this thing in my life. It's got to be from another world. I don't, I don't know what country or it's got to be from another planet. That's how friggin' crazy it is. Um, and again, you know, they, you, the government wants to keep it quiet and not, not just let it out and let their enemies potentially know what they're doing too. And essentially anything we see right now in the consumer sector from frickin' video cameras to LEDs to all this shit, you know, it was kind of 
tested or first developed for the military sector because that's where the money is. Right? If you're a scientist or you're an inventor or whatever and you're inventing stuff, if you sell it to the military, you're going to make a lot of money. Eventually, someone's going to reinvent it or yourself is going to eventually reinvent things that is going to be more consumer-based once the newest thing is is then invented for the military to take over, right? So we kind of we kind of get the hand-me-down, so to speak, technology-wise from the military. Um, one of the one of the big things that I that I did want to mention in this one, which does kind of lead us again down that that down that conspiracy rabbit hole a little bit, and again, this is this is as far as we're gonna go. Um, is it's the story of Bob Lazar. Now. Now, Bob Lazar worked at Area Area 51, actually in Area S4, which is about 15 miles south of Area 51. He was an engineer and a scientist, and, and he developed rocket technology and nuclear weapons um, at Los Alamos Labs, which is um, a, a national laboratory where essentially the Manhattan Project went down. Um, Bob was recruited to work um, uh, on reverse engineering an alien craft at Area S4. Again, this is where he said these alien crafts were, were stored. Um, when he was first recruited, he wasn't told it was Area 51. Um, when he first joined the pro, when he first joined the project, and things started to get weird when Bob first saw the flying saucers, and he basically just thought that they were just you know advanced fighters. He didn't really think too much of it when he first saw those. Those, um, you know, again, it's much like the A-12, but, you know, he said it was, it, it looked different, but he just thought, again, it was just an advanced new jet fighter. Um, and again, things are so compartmentalized that, you know, he's not really told the whole story at any point. Um, but again, things, things got even weirder um, when he was kind of shown the components of the craft. So what was going on on the, on the inside is actually what blew him away. And they demonstrated this little reactor, as they call it, working. And and when when he saw this thing working, he knew it you know it wasn't of this planet. Um, the reactor it's about the size and shape of a basketball on a metal plate. And when they turned it on, which it's kind of foggy how they actually turned it on. Sometimes I guess they would like juice it with some electricity, even though that he said there's no wires or anything in the thing. But he said once you put the lid on it. That's when it starts to work. It's very strange. But it would actually create a gravitational field. So this is hard for anyone to wrap their heads around because, again, this is not technology that we've ever had on Earth. We do, not have the, we do not have the power to actually create a gravitational field. Essentially meaning Bob went to try and touch that, like the, that sphere, that basketball-shaped sphere, but his hand was repelled kind of like two poles of a magnet being pushed together. So... The, gra the gravity was like, you know, as we are being held down to the planet, he was being repelled, you know, kind of in the opposite fashion from this basketball thing. Um, basically, Bob's entire project was part of a larger, compart like I mentioned, a compartmentalized project that was trying to back engineer the alien crafts. And they and they did come out and tell Bob in, in a briefing that they were from, they believed that the crafts were from um, the the star cluster Zeta Reticuli or the nearest star system Zeta Reticuli 
Um, again, Bob has little info to go on, but it's a really compelling story. I suggest you kind of go out and, and look at it more, but I only brought it up because them re reverse engineering a craft that may or may not have, you know, crashed here. He says, he says it could have crashed years ago. There's a chance that he says that there were several crafts. There was a chance that one was found in an archeological dig. So it could have been here thousands of years ago. Again, um, you know, everything's a little bit funky because, again, he wasn't really given a lot of info. But I suggest, you know, if you're listening, if you're listening to the podcast this far in, go check him out. Find listen to his whole story. He does a really good interview on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, and yeah, I mean, if he's lying, it's a pretty elaborate lie. And he's been telling the story for years. And, you know, back in the late 80s, when he first came out and told the story, um, it kind of really reignited that whole alien culture and everyone being re you know really interested in uh in aliens and stuff look at men in black came out and everyone dug it but i think kind of the nuts and bolts of this whole story even everything that we do know about area 51 i think it really highlights humans fat like you know people's fascination anyway for for the unknown i think obviously there's fear that exists in the unknown there's curiosity that exists in the unknown you know there's the concept of there's the the abyss there that if you stare long enough into the abyss that the abyss stares back at you and there's something that you know the human mind can't really just handle you know no info right so it starts to create something it doesn't like having no input it wants it craves input <sighs> And I think when we have something like this, you know, where there's so much unknown and there's so much involved with not not allowing people to know what what is happening and, and keeping things confidential and top secret for good reason. Again, the U.S. government couldn't just come out and say, hey, we got these new planes we're testing to go and spy at the Soviets, like I mentioned. So it's like out of necessity, lies had to be told, but then it leads to, you know, people really using their imaginations and kind of going, who knows what's going on in there, man? You know, they got aliens up in there, brother. Who knows, right? So, and there's that whole storming Area 51 that was like some bullshit and like 10 people showed up, which is classic. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's an area where, again, it might even be a whole fake out. It might not even be where the real shit goes down. It, it, if, in fact... To me, that makes more sense, you know, build a build a couple of small buildings in the middle of a dirt patch, restrict the hell out of it. You don't all you have to say is you can't go here. There's not like there's fences and shit and there's fences in the sky. Literally, all you, all, all that takes is saying, hey, you're not allowed to fly in this area that we designate. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, something's going down in there. Every spy in every world is trying to friggin' figure out how to get into Area 51. Meanwhile, down the road, they're fucking looking at crazy flying basketballs. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I think, again, you know, the other, the other main point, too, is kind of, you know, the power of, of human innovation. I think when, you know, I touched on it earlier, when you really do focus and, and put yourself in a scenario where that's all you think about and you really, you get on an idea and you and you follow it to its absolute finish. Humans are, humans are able to do amazing things and I think we all have that kind of power within us and if we are able to devote ourselves completely to something and really push ourselves and really try and filter out all those 
excess distractions that are, that exist in our life, you know, I think that we're capable of amazing things so much so that people are going to think it's from a whole other planet. And that's the mark of true innovation, that people don't even know what the fuck is happening. Again, if you went back in time and even showed a caveman a fucking Bic lighter, his friggin' mind, his feeble mind would blow up or he'd attack you with his log or whatever. He'd come at you. So people are people don't know what they don't know and they're only ready for something once they're ready. And, and you know, there's things that have come out before their time and people didn't get it. So... Innovation's a bitch, and you know it's something that if you do devote yourself to completely, you can create something that's real. And if you have the perfect timing, and even if you don't have the perfect timing, eventually someone's going to give you the credit. You know, we gave Leonardo DiCap, DiCap, we gave him, we gave him fucking shit for inventing the fucking Oscars. I don't know what I'm talking about. Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci, we gave him mad credit for doing tanks and crazy working on helicopters and shit. Yeah, he didn't figure it out, but he was working on it. So again, innovators, people who are out there building shit, artists, anyone, anyone who's doing something and doing it from their heart and passionate about advancing and creating new things for people to look at and push the human race forward. God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. I love you. If you're listening, keep listening. Thank you again for bearing, bearing with me. I love you. Um, if you want to check out more, you know, check out our other episodes, spread the word, tell your friends, like, and subscribe, you know, hit the bell on, uh, on YouTube. So, you know, when, uh, the next fucking episode comes down, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter at the big mark pod, uh, hit me up, uh, on Instagram at the big mark podcast. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the big mark pod. I love you all. I go in peace. We come in peace. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.